Good morning and welcome to the Reliably Well podcast, a podcast for medical professionals looking for insight into ways to be more effective for their patients and communities by making sure they are caring for themselves first and thriving in their lives. Welcome to the Reliably Well podcast. My name is Sam Peters and I am the host, the co-host for uh, this, this podcast. I'm here with Dr. Johnsey and Dr. Lovely and we're going to talk about the physical pillar of wellness or, or health. Um, we normally talk about the health trinity, it being exercise, sleep, and food. Let's first talk about food. So Hippocrates talked about, I think allegedly said, let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Let's talk about a diet. Dr. Lovely, what, um, what is the perfect diet that, that we should be on? Nobody knows. Um, what's interesting is how much, you know, we're allowing government bodies to tell us what, you know, to tell us a lot of things, one, what to eat, but how influenced those government bodies are by what financially is important for our economy. I think the milk and dairy industry is one where sometimes uh, it's, you, they will not make milk and dairy look unhealthy, even in the honest ways, just that, you know, it, you can be honest, everything's not completely healthy or completely unhealthy. And there's just no share in the uh, honest parts about what's not healthy because there's too much financial uh, uh, momentum behind our, our yeah. agricultural industry. But what the perfect what the perfect or most healthy diet is, nobody knows. That said, uh, the, there's just not that much good data. It's a hard thing to study. It's very regional, and all the data is more correlational. It's not something you can study clearly. But we have some idea, and I think – independently, we all kind of know that, uh, I mean, we all know that vegetables are good for you. Uh, I don't think that's a, uh, a complicated thing. We all know that, uh, French fries are not good for you. Also not a complicated thing. So your diet should be more, uh, you know, vegetable and water, less candy and Coke. It's not a complicated thing. That's it. I think we do go too far vilifying whatever, you know, was fat for a while and now carbohydrates are particularly vilified. Uh, we've spent too much time on macronutrients and vilifying one macronutrient when it's probably less important than that. And I think we have very little understanding even of all the little small micronutrients that we don't even have names for and what they can affect your in and out day-to-day life. Warren Buffett likes to say, uh, I guess the difference between like a really great diet, like a perfect diet and a pretty poor diet is about two or three years on your lifespan and uh, how much difference, like how much do you want to give up for that last three years uh, in terms of diet? So there's some there's some room there to like, it's okay to have an ice cream sundae sometimes. It's not going to kill you 10 years earlier. I, I just think, uh, again, what we're talking about on so much of this idea of wellness is, is really um, being thoughtful uh, in a way and being moderate in, in what it is that we do. I mean, there, there, is a, there is too much exercise for people, and we see them – uh, often when the new gym or whatever opens up in town and you get these people with rhabdo uh, where they've overdone it uh, to begin with. And so, you know, I think there's always this, let's, let's keep things in perspective. And I think that's what both of you are saying is that, hey, there's some things that you know, um, you know, vegetables are good for you, but cucumbers are not good for me. They do not react well with my digestion. And so I know that. And so I'm not going to eat cucumbers. You know, I actually like the taste of a cucumber. Um, but uh, um, so I, I think, you know, you know what works for you a little bit. And you also know that whatever it is that does work for you, 
keep keep it in perspective and keep it in in moderation. I mean, yes, have a Sunday. Don't have a Sunday with every meal in in the <laughs> extra large version of the Sunday. There's one book I read that says we eat about most people cycle through about eight meals on average, and I really like. Uh, that I did because it's very true. So when we were working on changing our diet, because I'd never really paid attention to diet my whole life until my dad died a heart attack pretty young. So I started focusing on cardiac risk factors. So I started to find a few healthy meals at a time that I really liked, like, uh, you know, just beans and rice and cheese and salsa and guacamole, something like that. So once I had about four and then once I got up to about eight, it was an easy transition. I do, I've been a vegetarian for about three years now, four years. Anyway, it was an easy transition once I found eight meals that I like and it wasn't a, uh, a hard thing. Like you said, Sam, I, I don't mind. I don't haven't had a problem with it when I go out to people's house, but vegetarian is much easier than vegan. And I'm a much more, uh, soft on how strict I am myself on a diet. Like if, uh, you know, everything in the South has pork in it somewhere was Friday. Like I'm not going to not eat it over that. Uh, but sometimes it prompts a conversation over a healthy diet, which I think is a, usually a good conversation to have, especially when you're open to the fact that I don't know for sure. And I certainly don't think fish or chickens killing anybody. It's just something that we made to try to help make our diet a little uh, more consistent and more toward the healthy side. And and I do like that because I I, I specifically did ask you, what is the best diet? And I know that you transitioned that really quickly to what is actually a diet that you can maintain and it's it's really meaningless if we're going to talk about the perfect diet if we're going to talk about the greens and you know whatever avocado or something but if you actually cannot eat that every day then why even talk about it so so get those foods that you do like eating on shift dr john c is um i'm sure difficult in the emergency room or even just for the hospitalist what are some strategies that you have to where you can have a healthful meal at work yeah, I don't mean to uh, throw our hospital partners under the bus on this, but sometimes it's amazing how unhealthy hospital food can can be that's not for the patient itself. You know, they got a great diet that we've decided for the cardiac patient or whatever, but for the general population, we do a lot of fried things uh, uh, and, and the like in our in our cafeteria. So I think, you know, Unfortunately, some of us see the free pass through the doctor's lounge or the or the hospital cafeteria as a uh, uh, as a as a bonus. Uh, and uh, I, I think, hey, if if they've got something that's reasonable, um, at least either take that into consideration in your dietary plans, or you know make your own preparations. We prepare a lot of things before we you know we, we make sure our scrubs are washed and. Our, our white coats ready and those kinds of things. Uh, you know, I, I, I prepare whatever I'm going to take with me and have an intention of what I'm going to uh, eat there. Certainly there's some places where, where we work where it's so busy or that particular shift you're going to work there, there is not an opportunity to really eat. So again, uh, to go, you know, take time away and, and you're going to eat. So uh, I think that's the other side of it is, is if you're in one of those kind of situations, then making sure that you have a, a healthy uh, at the ready snack that you can um, boost yourself up with. Because uh, if you don't make a plan for those situations, you will default to what is easy and what is easy is typically something that's not good. You'll have the candy bar that's in the vending machine out in the lobby um, and, and it won't be good and it may give you a little boost uh, of energy for a short period of time, but it'll probably uh, be more negative uh, in the in the long run rest of that shift. So I think having that plan and knowing that um, you probably need a backup plan 
um, is is the key. That's the lifestyle that we work, especially in emergency medicine. That um, what what we think is the first plan is is not always going to be available. So having something that's that's a backup, I think, is key uh, to whatever we're doing. And, and again, taking ownership in that, just as we talked about in our last episode with finances, having some sort of a plan or idea um, of what it is that you. Um, or going to how your diet's going to be and not just let it happen to you. Um, and I think you got to monitor those kinds of things. I mean, if you've got eight meals and you know what they are and they're on a rotation, maybe you don't have to monitor it. But uh, um, if it is a little more random of what you're going to consume, I think keeping some idea because I, I think most folks who, who uh, and, and again, I'm not as healthy as you guys are, but I think um, we have a lot of people in our, that, that we see day in and day out who have significant morbid obesity um, issues, and how do they get there? Well, they never planned to get there, but they never planned what they were ingesting anyway. So I think having some sort of a, a plan is is key to us if we're going to maintain some degree of health. Joe keeps coming back to this idea uh, of being thoughtful about what you do in every aspect of your life, and uh, you can't you can't emphasize that point enough. Uh, as a physician, be thoughtful about what your script is and how you interact with each patient and take days where you experiment with that um, interaction. And that's how you evolve and grow as a physician is I'm going to focus on my eye exam today, even though I never do one and be thoughtful about your eye exam. When it comes to eating on shift, some people, like you said, like especially at regional and Tupelo, which really busy, they don't need it all off shift. I've tried that. That doesn't go well for me. So I'll make sure I have a lot of uh, access to a lot of bananas and hummus and that kind of stuff where even on the busiest shift, I can slip away for three minutes. And a lot of it's more mental than it is the actual eating part that I go sit down for three minutes and nobody notices it. As far as I know, I was in a patient room, nobody knows I ever left the floor for a second. Uh, but taking that time away from myself mentally for five to seven minutes is a big deal. And so not only am I thoughtful about what I eat, I try to be thoughtful about how I want my shifts to go over the course of years of working at regional. I try to, I make sure I stretch on shift every time I stretch my back and my legs, like at the midpoint of my shift, I take a stretch break. And those are the kind of things that just make the day better. And you learn if you're thoughtful about it. Whereas if you're not thoughtful, you miss those things and your day never gets better. Good, good. And those that monitor their eating closely, I do think that there's something to be said about when you miss something and you go off of it for, let's say, a shift. Maybe there's a shift that was very stressful. Um, They had cookies in the lounge and you blew it. Okay, you know, your body remembers what you do most of the time. So don't just beat yourself up for the next week and just say, you know, I I got off the plan. I mean, that's uh, that is not logical thinking. Um, And we can have bad days. So just don't don't throw away the week for. Uh, a bad day. We've talked uh, about that before. People use that as an excuse. Like, you know, I've slipped up now, so I'm just done trying for the rest of the day. And yeah. I think it's a sign of burnout too. Whenever I get to the point where I'm not eating healthy or I'm not doing the things on shift that I know consistently help my, make my shift better. I think that's a sign that I'm overdoing something somewhere. And hopefully you can start being, I can start being thoughtful and take that inventory of all right, what have I done to get to this point? How do I get back to my, to my routine? Let's talk about the second part of the, the health trinity, which is fitness. Um, we know that 
exercising is good. There are many studies out there. Um, jogging, swimming, cycling, walking, gardening, these all have shown to reduce anxiety or depression. Many studies have shown if you just exercise for 30 minutes a day, um, you know, you'll have health benefits. I know Dr. Sirio sent me a link where if, I guess a study showed, and I think this was linked with Harvard, but um, if you do a 40 push-ups a day, you can reduce heart disease by 96%. Um, so me and him were talking about this. Exercise is important. So maybe Dr. Lovely, how important is exercise for you? Uh, I mean, I think just like for everybody else, like you're saying, it's one of the most important things you can do for stress relief and for your body and long-term well-being. It's hard though. Uh, it's hard to stick to it. Um, the way I've, I think the trick is figuring out how to make it work for you. Um, the way I've done it is I, I like to pick goals and then work toward those particular goals. And they're very variable. I remember in residency, I decided I wanted to work toward a triathlon. So the first step of that was you need to swim a mile. So I spent, uh, you know, measuring myself and monitoring and spent several months, uh, following one of those programs where you do so many laps until you get up to a mile and that's been, that was amazing. That was a lot of fun. And now whenever I go on beach vacations with my family, because I spent a three-month period focusing on swimming, I can blow everybody out in swimming. I'm not a great swimmer, but most people have never spent three months practicing swimming and working on technique. So in any hobby you take on, there's this steep curve where you get much better in the first 100 hours. Uh, what I like to do is pick hobbies and pound that first 100 hours. So whether it's I did swamp, swimming, cycling, rock climbing, things like that. And then uh, usually in some kind of paired buddy activity, I have a friend now, he, one of his, he set a goal, his goal is he wants to be able to dunk. He's 30 now. So he's 30 years old, never been able to dunk. He's decided he wants to be able to dunk. So he's doing uh, jump ropes and following an online program. And I absolutely believe he'll be able to dunk in a few months, but that gets him consistently doing something 30 minutes a day. And I haven't worked out in like two weeks, so I don't have anything positive to say for you guys right now. I'm, playing video games. I've got another goal. So I got to think of something to work order. I saw a slip. Dr. Johnson, what's your preferred uh, method of exercise? Yeah. So, uh, my oldest child was really into, uh, cycling, um, just, just for enjoyment outside. And so, uh, we did get a Peloton and, and it really, uh, I'm, I'm a competitive guy at, uh, at heart. And so the idea that I can get on and I can compete, both with myself and with other people who've done the same thing, uh, either right then or, or previously, uh, is something that, 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 that kind of fires that competitive juice. And, um, then again, it's, it's, um, you, you want to, you want to do a little better than you did before. It's very measurable, um, in, in kind of setting any sort of goal that you have. Um, uh, and, and it's very interactive from a, from a training teaching, uh, standpoint to be able to, uh, to learn more how to do different things better. So I think there's, there's a number of things that, that technology has given us the opportunity, uh, to have, uh, at our fingertips and, and, you know, for some people they need to go to a gym or they need to have, be around other folks, um, to, to be able to, uh, engage or get motivated. But I, I think, um, instead of there is one way to do things as it was, you know, 20 years ago or 10, maybe even 10 years ago. Um, there are so many opportunities and avenues to engage that there's really no excuse anymore for people not to find that, um, that niche, uh, that, that works with them. So I think that, that, that is uh, huge. And, um, 
and just the downstream effects of that um, that working out uh, are, are pretty impactful to other uh, aspects of 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 health um, uh, of that health pillar of wellness. I'll add a couple more unique ones that's just that I've throughout my life. One that I've been that I used a lot really the last two years, and I'm sure I'll use throughout my life is now that virtual reality is a thing. There's a lot of uh, virtual reality video games where you play with other people and you're shooting guns or sword fighting, and there's there's a lot of sweating and ducking and dodging. I did that consistently for several months, and that was consistently a really good workout. There's boxing ones, um, and I cycle through it as the new games come out, but that's always a good, consistent workout that's very unique. Um, and then uh, there's something to be said for class-based um, uh activities too. I did jujitsu through medical school for about four years. And now any city I'm in, I make sure to connect with that jujitsu gym and go there occasionally because that's a different form of exercise that keeps me engaged with the community and keeps me with those body movements intact and that kind of stuff. Um, so class-based, going to a class with people is a good thing, whether it's yoga or jujitsu or karate or whatever it is you like. And then uh, interaction with technology, like Joe was saying, and virtual reality for me has been a, a big boost to uh, add non work to everything. Yeah, I, uh, both of those comments with having a group and staying accountable to them and seeing their, their growth and you also being with them. I know, yeah, I run and I have the Garmin Connect so that I have some people I know that are running and I'll see what they ran that day. And it's kind of a community um, to kind of keep yourself and hold yourself accountable to them, which I think is, is very helpful if you're trying to keep a habit going. Um, I guess another thing that I would, uh, suggest is with goals, I know that I am normally not that motivated if I don't have a goal. So when I, um, I know last year I wanted to qualify for Boston and I, I had this whole training program made out, uh, me and my wife kind of made it together. Uh, she also is a runner and, I knew that I wasn't going to stick to it. So I said, you know, you know, Julie, I, I'm just going to go ahead and buy the ticket. So I bought some downhill marathon ticket in I think South Carolina. And just knowing that I, I had a goal, I bought, you know, I bought the ticket. I was that much more accountable because I, I already kind of, um, committed myself. I already said yes to the race. Um, and then one other thing that I, I know people come up to me and say, Hey Sam, you know, I just, I, I really don't like running though. Um, that, that's not something that I want to do. And normally my first reaction is, well, then just don't, you know, don't again, I think people sometimes see running or even swimming as the best method of exercise. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's what just people think. I think with, it's actually cycling. So I, I thought it would be <laughs> cycling because of the low impact. Um, so do whatever you enjoy. You know, if it's gardening, do it. Again, it's the same thing with diet. Don't talk about the best diet you could ever eat if you can't maintain it. Right. Um, and I'm sure you both are aware of that because you're not going to prescribe someone. I think I think you have to be introspective as opposed to, you know, too often we, we, we're passive and we want someone to tell us what to do. And I think it takes some introspection. It takes some experimentation as well because it may be that you – don't think running is your thing because you just, you know, you, you tried it years ago. That's what my, my wife thought. She, she, she really now uh, cannot go through a day without running. 
uh, it is it 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 really just sets her day off the right way. And so, you know, that thing that wasn't your cup of tea before may be um, something that is now. And again, you'll you'll never know until you get out and you and you do something that whether it's good or, or not for you. So I, I think you gotta you've got to um, you know learn what is right uh, for you, whether it's diet, whether it's exercise. Uh, whatever that, that that thing is, and and make sure it's it's um, personalizable and fits in with with your life and the other things that go on uh, with your with your lifestyle. You know, it takes you hours to do your running. I can probably burn a similar number of calories in thirty minutes than it will take you in an hour or more uh, in your run. Um, so sometimes it's hey, it's just a time crunch, and if I can do something and squeeze it in and you know, 20 minutes and, and, and it can work better with my schedule. That may be the thing that you're able to sustain then, uh, than the thing that, Hey, I've got to drive somewhere to a Olympic sized pool and, you know, swim. And, and that's going to take me an hour of swimming to be able to get done with what I need to or whatever. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Joe. When I grew up running was a punishment, like in basketball, if we missed the free throw, you had to run. So I hated running. Until I started running and realized, like, oh, the reason I can't run several miles is because I always just go out and run, and you have to do a run and a walk and build your stamina up in this structured way. When you start to do that and you start to see success, like, oh, I can run a 5K now uh, consistently, like, wow, and you see that progress, and it helps you grow. So, yeah, don't. it's like the broccoli. Just because you didn't like it when you were a kid doesn't mean it's yeah. always bad. Yeah, I um... – yeah, try something three times. You know, that's one thing that I know is is helpful. I, I once met a guy, he said, um, yeah, he doesn't like working out. He said, once I lift weights and they were too heavy and I just don't like working out. I was like, that's ridiculous, you know, but... Um, and, and try it with somebody who's not an expert, um, you know, because playing basketball with Michael Jordan would be terrible. Uh, one is I don't <laughs> think Michael, you know, Michael Jordan is was such an expert at it, but also it was so natural to him. I don't think he can... He could convey that to the mere mortals. Okay, this is how you you can play basketball and you know be, be good at it. So somebody who just they never really trained, never really developed that running muscle. They don't know how to tell somebody else to develop it versus somebody who I never ran and then over you know a couple of years period of time I developed this. I can tell somebody else how to do that. Uh, so make sure you're getting the right right teacher versus the naturally gifted athlete. Yeah, I like that. And and don't be so hard on yourself, too. Um, I know a lot of people who just start doing something new, um, and they're very hard on themselves because this other person's so natural at it. And that is, that's really a logical fallacy. It's called mm. hasty generalization. You're, 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 you're assuming you're going to be a professional on your first try. And uh, just, if, if you're going to start um, anticipate it being difficult and try it three times before you say, yeah, this is not really for me. All right, let's transition now to the, the, the last part of the, the health trinity, which is sleep. Um, in his book, we, uh, Why We Sleep, Matthew Walker, a British neuroscientist, um, and he, he's a professor over in University of California, Berkeley, he argues that sleep is actually the most important element in the health trinity, and I've heard it said in multiple places that you need to have seven to eight hours of sleep every day. Um, what do you think about that, 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 Dr. John C., and what are some strategies that you use to, uh, to get your sleep? Yeah, I think that, that, that uh, uh, the importance of sleep 
or the impact of sleep probably changes over our lifestyle. So I think most of us, when we're 20 years old, we can do with it or without it. Maybe at least even in a, in a short term, uh, for sure. Uh, and, and maybe even in a, in a intermediate or long term, we can deal without much in the way of sleep and still be really functional. Our bodies are just, they just have so much more internal ability to withstand that kind of punishment. And as we get older, um, the, the, uh, uh, reliability or, or regularity of our sleep becomes much more, uh, important to us. I think when you think about it's something that you're going to spend a quarter to a third of your life doing, man, that is something that one, you ought to learn something about it, uh, and you ought to spend some time working on it. Um, and you know the the people who sell mattresses all the time they they sell you based on that. And hey, I, I don't think it's wrong uh, to sit there and splurge a little bit on the thing that you're going to be spending. You know, you, you ought to spend more on your mattress than you do on your couch, um, and 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 maybe more on your mattress than than anything else that you that you purchase uh in inside your home um you know it, it's just that much of a part of what we deal so make sure it's effective because there's nothing worse than laying in bed for however many hours you do and waking up and feeling awful um you know like you didn't get anything that was worthwhile so i think learning about it and you mentioned the this book here i'm going to look into it um uh, there's a book by Matthew Bruce and I can never, the power of when, um, and he talks about the chronotypes of sleepers, um, as part of it. But again, I think that whatever we can do to learn how to spend a third of our life, we probably ought to invest at least a little bit of time of reading a book or two to get some insight. Now, it may not be perfect. Don't get me wrong. I don't necessarily think everything that he's saying is absolute, but I think having some concept to be able to base what our end of, individual response is is hugely important for me personally trying to do things as much as i can every time i sleep because in medicine we wind up having these weird schedules that fluctuate back and forth and sometimes can be anti-circadian and all sorts of things so figuring out the things that will help us um, to be able to engage in sleep and maintain sleep hugely important um you know so I don't have blackout curtains and that sort of stuff because you can't carry it somewhere else with you, but I can put an eye mask on. And so um, I, sometimes I have to sleep during the day. Sometimes I sleep at night, but I always sleep with an eye mask on. And I can sleep with an eye mask on at home, and I can sleep with an eye mask on in a hotel somewhere. And so that and earplugs are cues to my body that, okay, it's time to shut down. Um, you know, Bruce gets into uh, some of the ideas uh, that Michael Bruce a guy about some of the the light cues and blue light and those things, and I think that it's important maybe to pay attention to and and help to give our mind and body as many cues as we can that it's time to turn things off, and then learn what techniques we can use that when we can't engage in sleep or we can't maintain sleep, you know what to do to to do then to have some solutions to it, um, and then to make our bed the thing that we sleep on and try and avoid doing the rest of our life with it because it gets confusing. Uh, so those are some things that have been helpful for me. But I think probably the most impactful thing for uh, sleep um, is really the first two things that we talked about. You know, if we eat in a really bad way, sometimes our digestion interferes with us getting into sleep or maintaining sleep or, you know, whatever else. If we're drinking uh, big cups of coffee 
30 minutes before we're deciding to go to bed, it may be impossible to engage in sleep. Uh, if on days that I exercise, so I, I think again, to your point about if we don't, um, we can't manage things that we don't monitor. I monitor my sleep and, and it, the days that I don't exercise, um, or the days that I don't, I don't get, engage in sleep as well, uh, that, that are difficult for me. And then the days that follow the day that I don't sleep well are bad days all the way around, uh, interpersonal relationships, professional relationships, uh, whatever else they, they become bad. So having, um, good, um, understanding what plays into good sleep and bad sleep, I think is something we owe ourselves to engage in. Uh, and then we can be thoughtful about how we spend our day looking forward to how we're going to be able to spend our night. Great. I, I really appreciate how you're touching on how all these things are interconnected. And I even thought of when you said uh, what we talked about earlier, I was even thinking about previous episodes. When you start talking about finance, that affects Absolutely. sleep. Um, when, we t- when we start talking about um, relationships, we're going to have an episode on relationships. That affects sleep. When we start talking about you know the occupational pillar, that, ex- that affects sleep. So you know, the human psyche is so interconnected and, um, yeah, eating as well. I agree with everything Joe said. I've read, I've actually read this book. It's really good. Um, and then he talks about, I think some things that are specific and important to, to physicians. He talks about the hormone levels. I think he even goes over caffeine and how caffeine is actually an adenosine inhibitor and adenosine builds up through the day. And that's what makes you sleepy. And caffeine comes in and competitively inhibits that. I didn't know that before reading the book. And it talks about how our hormonal fluctuations affect our sleep, cortisol levels and all that kind of stuff. And so when you're in a consistent pattern, it makes it easy. And we are unable to have that consistent pattern. Um, So last week I had two night shifts that were like three days apart. So I had a night shift and then a couple days later, another night shift. Um, And what I've realized is I can't force myself back into a normal schedule because I can't force my cortisol levels to change. Even if I take whatever, if I drink coffee in the morning or Benadryl to knock myself out or whatever, melatonin, whatever I do, my cortisol fluctuations aren't going to change that rapidly. So I have to accept some reality of I can't go from day shift to night shift immediately. And that's helped me a little bit to not feel so bad about myself, but also to know to schedule my meetings a little different or if I have to skip a meeting that's not important, uh, that's fine. Sleep till noon that day and don't worry about that daytime meeting. You can catch up with them afterwards. Um, I do think sleep is the most important one and it's the last, it's the last one I let drop. Like I'd say right now I'm a little below baseline. I've been, uh, uh, my, my diet's been a little worse. My, my mom brought over a bunch of Pepsis. I've been drinking regular Pepsi and I always don't do as well with that. Uh, haven't been working out cause I've been playing video games with my little brother, but I've been sleeping well, even though my sleep is still not back to a good daytime uh, today. I woke up at 10 AM. So finally kind of getting back to a good daytime schedule. But it's taken me a good week to recover from night shifts if I'm going to recover fully. So that's what's important in ER medicine. If you're the scheduler, that you rotate people from day to bids to nights and give them their night shift block and then rotate them back. And I think as a as a company, that's something that we can emphasize to our schedulers and our administrators to make sure that we help doctors work on when they work their night shifts because that's a sacrifice that physicians and nurses make to the community that we are there 24 hours, and that is a physical detriment to us in the long run and to minimize that as best we can uh, is something that we owe to ourselves and to, to the people we work with. Thank you, Dr. Lovely. And I guess to sum up this, and I want to end with a practical point, but food is important, exercise is important, and sleep is important. 
So Dr. Johnson, I know you use an app that kind of tracks your sleep and it helps you monitor how much sleep you have got, uh, you have gotten, um, you want to talk about that app? Yeah, I think there's a lot of them out there. I started with an uh, auto sleep uh, app first, free uh, one that was out there, and then there's a free version of the one that I use now, which is Sleep Watch, uh, and yeah, it's a free version and then an upgraded version. And uh, uh, I do I pay the thirty bucks a year for the upgraded version now, and it's again, it's very impactful to me um, uh, to to monitor that. Do you have to wear your watch while you sleep, or can you just have your phone, I guess, in your pocket? I mean, that'd be pretty. Yeah, boring. I mean, you can you can um, you can do it that way. It doesn't monitor like heart rate because that's what it's looking at is to see how much of a heart rate dip, and then it's projecting from a heart rate dip how restful you are and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And and spikes in heart rate, then it knows that you've been you've had disruption uh, in your sleep which again downgrades your score and it gives you an overall score that's kind of digestible both of the time that you slept but also how good the sleep was from a dip in resting heart rate uh, from the lack of interruptions and several figures that go in there to give you an overall number and that's the number that guides me if it's red it's bad if it's yellow I'll probably be okay depending on where it is if it's green it's going to be great Um, so that that really translates now for me into how functional I'll be the next day Um, and again then it helps you to think back well what did you do if you got a red number what did you do wrong well I got a phone call at three in the morning that's what I did wrong I can't really control that one but if it was well you know what you didn't work out at all the day before okay now I can control that one uh, and I can I can I can work to make my next day sleep uh, better um, and then again, if you know you're really on a deficit, I'm 40% behind on what I really ought to sleep or what I've been sleeping for the past six months because you can look at all sorts of trends. Now I know maybe, hey, you know what, there's a, there's a Wednesday night. I don't care what's going on. I've got to go to bed early. I've got to really engage and kind of reset things because I'm, I've really drained the tank down over the past three days. I had to choose it the last three days to stay up more because of whatever was going on. But now I owe it to myself, and then I need to schedule myself in that way. So I think that those things are impactful. Yeah, you got to wear your watch, um, but it actually is, is, is not um, anything that's too disruptive to me. I'm sold. I downloaded it. I'll let you know what I think. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Johnsey and Dr. Lovely for jumping on. Again, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe to the channel. Until next time, be well. <laughs>